0: Uh, my name is Kirk Cannon. I'm on staff here at the church and have the privilege of going through the Word with you uh, today. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we are coming to the end, this is our second last week, and uh, much of the book has been about who God is, what He has done, and uh, who we are in light of that. It is looking at these doctrinal things, these theological things, and then the implications that that has on us, our identity and our behavior. Uh, Again, if he is who he says he is, who are we, and how should we behave in light of that truth? Now, we've seen that understanding the truth should change how we live, but we've also seen that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to live out these new realities. Now, our topics for today uh, are no small thing, marriage, parenting, and work. And I'll explain why it's work and not slavery in just a minute. Um, Now, the scripture reading that we heard uh, kind of is only one section of what we're going to look at today in this scripture. So we're going to have to move um, quickly. Now, any one of these topics easily could be kind of their own sermon or own sermon series in and of themselves. So we're going to have to move quickly and focus more on the forest than the trees today. Now, at the same time, again, these topics are filled with complex and sensitive issues that I don't want to deal with half-heartedly. So I'm going to attempt to get in and out of these complex issues quickly and back out without anyone getting hurt. Um, I heard one preacher's wife call this kind of preaching stunt preaching. Uh, But I want to say, if you have deep questions or serious questions that kind of come up that we don't really have time to address from the topics that we're talking about, that shouldn't be the end of it for you. Don't kind of just get upset that we weren't able to kind of get into it, I would encourage you if we bump into something that you would love to see answered in greater detail, uh, talk to your life group about it. That's a great place to start. Say, hey, you know, he didn't talk about this. You know, what do you guys think? Uh, And if you really do have something, again, that's kind of on your heart that we don't really get the chance to address today, you can always reach out to us here at the church. We would love to continue the conversation with you. And make sure that you have the resources that you need to kind of begin to process uh, how, again, these doctrinal issues that have come up in Ephesians affect how we live out uh, our lives, uh, whether that's in marriage, parenting, or in work. Okay, now just while mentioning work, I want to say this. Um, Again, we've had some great uh, sermon series like Vital Relationships. Uh, If you want to, you can go back and look at those series that we have online and take a look at some of the comments that have been made um, by our other pastors uh, over the last few years. But I also want to mention this. We We are running the marriage course again. Last year we ran it for the first time. The marriage course is uh, seven sessions that just kind of take a look at marriage in a number of different ways. It's going to be happening uh, in the new year starting in January on Fridays. Uh, So again, seven uh, Fridays, it's gonna be running. And there's just a quick little promo video I wanna show you about that now.
1: Getting married provides us with one of life's greatest opportunities and one of its greatest challenges the opportunity to build the most intimate of relationships and the challenge to learn what it means to love another person and to look beyond our own needs. Attending the marriage or pre-marriage course offers couples the opportunity to invest in their relationship. They provide the practical tools that will help any couple build a strong marriage, no matter how long they've been together. On both courses, the setting feels like a date, The first part of every session is spent relaxing with something to eat and drink. This is followed by watching a film about different aspects of marriage, broken up by times for discussion as a couple. All your conversations are completely private. Join the marriage or pre-marriage course to discover how to love each other better and not just stay together, but grow and thrive as a couple.
0: Uh, the marriage course uh, is put on by the same church that brought Alpha to the world, uh, and it kind of brings the same kind of caliber to the video and teaching that they've been doing. And um, again, many of you would maybe know Nicky Gumbel, uh, his very good friend from the very early days of his ministry in his particular church, was another guy by the name of Nicky who uh, he and his wife, Scylla, lead the marriage course, uh, and it's an excellent resource we had about uh, 12 couples go through it last year, and uh, again, all of the reviews kind of after going through the course were really very positive, lots of helpful tools for working through marriage um, uh, challenges, so whether you're trying to um, fine-tune or just celebrate or overhaul your marriage, I would encourage you to block those dates out on Uh, Your calendar, and again, uh, registration online isn't quite available, but it will be soon, so check back on our website for those things. Okay, we better hop in. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Marriage. We're going to look at what it is, what it does, what it needs, and what it shows. Okay, I believe those things are all here laid out for us in the scripture. Now, I got these particular um, titles. Or comments from one of the commentaries that I often refer to when I'm doing some preaching. But let's hop in. Um, what it is. I believe it is a lifelong exclusive covenant between one man and one woman. And again, covenant, I believe, is the promise of future love. Now, we're going to explore that a little bit. But first off... The Bible teaches that humanity was created in God's image, male and female, and that Christians must take that reality seriously because it's what the scripture teaches. And if we disrespect or nullify or ignore the scripture on gender, we also weaken the gospel. Since the word of God brings both the gospel, And the reality that humanity is made in the image of God, both male and female. And if the scriptures teaching on gender and sexuality aren't a reality to us, then the gospel is also not a reality to us. And I realize that I say that in a time when this issue has never been more charged, complex, and perhaps very personal for many of you. Our world is currently charged with conversations about gender Some people try to ignore gender differences entirely, and others find the binary approach to gender too limiting. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of that today. But I do think it's important to say that as we discuss marriage, that we also affirm the Bible's teaching that humanity is made both male and female, since that we believe that marriage is for one man and for one woman. Hillcrest has a number of faith statements that we believe are important to articulate carefully in our time. This is not kind of an exhaustive list of everything that a Christian should believe, but again, statement of faith is particular things that we need to clarify so that we can understand what we're talking about and find unity and a way forward. And one of them comes from the verses that uh, we're looking at today. This is the statement um, from our uh, statement of faith. We believe in the sanctity of marriage as a lifelong exclusive covenant between one man and one woman. Now, you might not be on the same uh, page. You might have different thoughts on the matter. We're still very glad that you are here. This is not a statement that is motivated by our fear or by our hatred. It is what we believe the Bible says about it. We want you to know that our hope as a church is to submit ourselves to Jesus, to his word on all matters of faith and life. Again, this is from the verse uh, 31 of the, of the verses that we read. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So again, this covenant relationship that's expressed here is this deep, exclusive, permanent, legal, and personal commitment. Marriage is not a declaration of present love, But it is the binding promise of future love. I will love you. It's not the promise to feel loving or to feel love, but to be loving. To bend even our emotions with the power of our will, if necessary. It is ongoing love. The promise of future love. That's what I believe marriage is. So that's what it is, here's what it does. I believe it's to bring positive transformation to each person in the marriage, to the couple. We see that here in these verses, talking about washing, cleansing. It's the thinking of the work that Christ does with the church, the rescuing. It is about our holiness. We read in verse 22 this, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Uh, I I think we see uh, throughout this uh, part of Scripture a meditation that is given. Meditate on a certain aspect of who God is and it will affect the way that you live out in this area. For wives, this is the meditation. The lordship of Christ. Not the worthiness, infallibility, or perfection of their husbands. Thank goodness. Now, to be a better wife... Meditate on Christ so that whenever you see a glimpse of Jesus in your husband, you can praise and encourage your husband for taking on the attributes of Christ, Jesus. And in time, I believe you will actually draw out more and more Jesus character to the surface. It says this to the husbands, for the husband is the head, or it says this, again, continuing to the wives, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the Savior. Now, headship, though it might be offensive to some, is quite simple. It is holding responsibility for the final say. After thorough conversation, debate, and prayer, if a couple is not clearly aligned and in agreement, God holds the husband responsible for the decisions that are made And the actions that are taken. God holds the husband responsible. Whether the husband wants the responsibility or not, God holds him accountable. See, headship is not a perk, it's a responsibility before God that necessitates complete and total surrender to God and personal sacrifice. What if the husband won't lead? What if the husband is evil? What if the husband is abusing his leadership? Those are great questions for your life group this week. (laughs) I I don't mean to make light of those questions. Uh, We just need to keep moving forward this morning. And again, if these things really are on your mind or weighing on your heart, reach out to us. We'll do what we can to support you. We really mean that. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, This is not saying that women in general should submit to men in general. Some people have used it that way. It is specifically talking about the marriage relationship. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. The meditation given to husbands is the sacrifice of Christ. We also see, again, I think the purpose of marriage being holiness. See, it's not merely the wives that need holiness. In fact, you know, after all, even men are part of the church called the bride of Christ, and they must submit to Christ and receive his cleansing through the word as well. Marriage plays a significant part in our. Sanctification, that process of becoming holy. Marriage is not our salvation, but it brings transformation. When you add the word, the Bible, Jesus' teaching to the relationship, it produces change. Husbands and wives play a significant part in each other's discipleship. See, traditional marriage is about social standing or financial position. Modern love is about present feelings and those are all very self-centered reasons for marriage and often why it falls apart Christian marriage is about transformation into the image of Christ that means that as we pursue holiness and play a part in each other's growth we get to see someone becoming more and more beautiful as time goes on and who doesn't want a spouse that gets more and more beautiful as time goes on in fact, one day we will be perfected. Verse 27 says this, again, speaking to the husband specifically, and to present him, uh, her to himself as a radiant church. This is, again, talking about Christ. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Have you ever been to a wedding where the bride arrived at the front of the church and said, Oh my, I forgot to put on my makeup today. You know, I was thinking of brushing my hair, but then it just kind of slipped my mind. See, most brides spend weeks, if not months, years thinking about that moment. Many people are in the best shape of their lives when they get married. Not just because they were young and fit, but because they were determined to present their best selves on their wedding day. Best clothes, whitest teeth, perfectly groomed, pleasantly fragrant, not a hair out of place. See, the holy version of you is your best self. It is you that is vibrant and flourishing. That's your holy self. Verse 28 says this, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and take care of their body, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. To be a better husband, meditate on Christ, his willingness to spend himself entirely on our flourishing. And then in turn, work tirelessly, tirelessly to create an atmosphere where your bride and your children can become their best selves. And challenge anything that threatens that. Spend yourself on your wife. See, wedding money is spent on gym memberships, hairstylists, cosmetics, the dress, the flowers. But then the groom gets to stand there and see his bride coming down the aisle in all her glory. The groom is for the bride, the bride is for the groom. They are a gift to each other. I'd also point out, it doesn't say husbands love your wives and by contrast, hate yourselves. Husbands, you must also love yourselves, take care of yourself, respect yourself, present yourself as a holy gift to your spouse. Again, our meditation on Christ. Jesus not only died on the cross, he rose in victory. Husbands, meditate on the sacrifice of Christ, but also live with resurrection power. Okay? What it shows. Verse 32 says this, It is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband if you're a single person are you missing out on the profound mystery of marriage or missing out on the heights of love no we often have talked about the true and better when we talk about Jesus you know a few years ago now as a church we went through the story And we highlighted this all the way through, about how Jesus was the true and better Adam, the true and better Joseph, the true and better Joshua. He was the true and better sacrifice, the true and better David, prophet, priest, and king, the true and better older brother, bringing home all of the prodigal sons. Jesus is also the true and better spouse, now, if you go through this life without husband or wife because you simply don't find your match, or if you set aside a life where you embrace same-sex attraction or any other gender complexity for Jesus and live according to what he says, you will have in him something far greater. Marriage is just a foretaste of what a relationship with him will be like. And also, when Jesus said, there is no greater love than this, he didn't cite marriage. Instead, he cited friendship. John 15, 13, he said this, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So that was what it shows. This is what marriage, this is what it needs. We kind of skipped this in the very beginning the first part of our reading is verse 21 and it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a continuation of where we have already been. What we've already been talking about in Ephesians. How do we live in light of what God has done? In light of who he is? And again, in one of the subcategories of unity, maturity, the body of Christ and spirit-filled living is how husbands and wives relate. What a marriage needs is good theology, the Word, and the power of the Holy Spirit. A good marriage needs two people who are walking in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, and trusting in God's Word. So, marriage is the promise of future love, this covenant. It does something in us, it brings transformation through this. Um, The power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we pursue holiness together. And uh, again, it shows us something profound in the way that God relates to us. That's all we have time to say this morning as we continue on into these other things. But again, I want to encourage you um, to clear your calendar and be a part of the marriage course uh, as we go through that. If you have other comments or questions, do talk to your life group. Do reach out to us. We'd like to talk further about marriage. Uh, with you we're also going to look at children parenting and a relationship with work so I'd like to read a bit more from the scripture this is starting in chapter six of Ephesians starting in verse one children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. So let's look at this, starting in verse 1 again. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. The meditation given to children is the promise of God for a meaningful life. Again, this is instructions for Christian households. Children will only be able to be obedient and delightful people if first they understand the gospel. I'm so glad that we have a children's pastor who is, who is ruthless in separating between just good moral lessons and gospel teaching. Uh, children only have a hope of being good kids if first they are in the Lord. Did you see that? <laughs> children obey your parents in the Lord. It doesn't say, Children obey your parents because it's the right thing to do or because I said so. The Bible actually never uses a because I said so on us, it always gives us the reasons, it always points us to Christ. To what he has done, who he is, and then says, "From those realities we live, we've got to do the same with our kids." And it says, "Obey your parents in the Lord." This is for this is right. Uh, parents, when you're teaching and disciplining your children, make sure you're preaching the gospel. Saturate your kids in the gospel. Give them gospel tools to tackle every situation that they will face. Now, adult children are not required to obey their parents. That's actually a significant part of getting married. In order for a marriage to happen, the couple has to leave their family of origin, their mother and father, and begin to make their own decisions. And this is also necessary whether you get married or not. Children must grow up. Uh, I spent some time in youth ministry, and every once in a while I'd get a a panicked phone call from someone who had a kid in grade twelve, uh, and they realized suddenly that they hadn't really prepared their child. They they were saying, "I don't think he's ready for all of the decisions that they're going to have to make." And uh, after having that conversation a few times, many more than I wish, I I made a decision, and my wife and I have made this decision: instead of raising kids, we're raising adults. They're starting out as kids, but when we're done with them, we would like them not to be children any more. (laughs) Um, People need to grow up. Adults, if you're an adult, it's important to grow up. Also, if you are a parent of adult children, respect them as adults. You can give your thoughts and opinions, your advice, but you have to respect them as adults. I believe that's laid out here clearly in Scripture. But honoring your father and mother is something that is never done. That's something that you don't grow out of. Even if your parents are rough around the edges, or there are deep wounds from your childhood, or if you simply can't stand being around them, you are to honor your father and mother. Don't rest until you find something to honor them for. It might be bleak for some of you. If an honorable life was a roaring fire and your parents seem like nothing but smoke and ashes, find the one coal with a little bit of warmth and care for it. Breathe life into it so that it can begin to burn again. And pray to the Lord that he would ignite them into a blazing fire. The Lord isn't willing to snuff out a smoldering wick. It says this in Matthew 20, uh, 12, 20. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through victory, through to victory. Now some of you, because of dishonoring, disrespecting, or cutting off ties with your parents, have bruised and nearly snuffed them out. And there's actually really harsh warnings in the scripture for that kind of behavior towards family. Which we don't have time to go into that now. Rather, I want to encourage you to take on the gentleness of Jesus and see that your parents are honored. Now, if you are parents of children who have abandoned and dishonored you, you will find no one who understands your experience more than God himself. He has been rejected by his children. He has been dishonored. He knows what it is like to have a child say to him, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. If you are in that situation, all I can say to you is go to him. Go to him in prayer. Seek to understand his father's heart. Run to the father. So children... Obey your parents and everyone out there. Honor your father and mother. Verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. There's a note in my Bible that says this could be talking to parents. And maybe it is. Be careful, mothers, too. But fathers, (laughs) do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Now, what stood out to me... Um, most recently, in looking at this verse, was that the training instruction was from the Lord, not from me, not my thoughts, not my opinions, not my instincts. And and by contrast, I, I think I have often relied entirely on training my kids to try to be like me, to meet my expectations, to follow my instructions. And in most instances, I was not waiting on the Lord to speak. Now, we have spent a lot of time around here at Hillcrest encouraging you to do listening prayer rather than just making your requests known to God, but to take a moment and actually hear from Him. And I think this is wise words from Paul to us about parenting. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So take a moment for listening prayer. I was challenged to slow down to hear from the Lord and make sure I was passing on the training instructions that the Lord was wanting to give to my kids through me. I think that's entirely different than just following my own instincts. Now, we do have to keep moving. Slaves. Uh, Don't let the language throw you for a loop here. For most of us, slavery brings to mind race-based slavery in America and the aftershocks that we still see today. Greco-Roman slavery was, in many ways, very different. It wasn't race-based. It wasn't lifelong. People weren't considered property. Slaves weren't a separate class of citizen. It was a legal standing, not a social class. And to help us understand, I think, what Greco-Roman slavery was like, we can ask maybe more so this question. How many of you have debt? You don't have to put up your hands, that's okay. How many of you have debt? Now, it wasn't exactly like this, but this is actually far more helpful to understand in reference uh, than, again, the slave, uh, or the race-based slavery in America. Uh, so you owe money someone to someone, maybe because of your house, your car, maybe you have a bunch of credit card debt. You are a slave. Until those debts are paid off, you are not free. No one owns you, no one is free to abuse you, but you are a slave. You might look rich, you might have your own business, you might have assets, but you're still a slave if you have that debt. And again, rather than being astonished that Paul doesn't immediately abolish slavery in all forms, we must see that. Uh, again, slavery has kind of existed throughout human history in a variety of different times and places in our world. And largely the reason that it has ever been set aside is because of Christians who s- surrendered themselves to Jesus and his teaching. They looked to the Bible, saw the principles there, and they took action to set people free. Now there's lots more that we could say about this, but I think these verses are far more apl- applicable to our understanding of work than the slavery that often comes to our mind because of our context. This is about employers and employees, business owners and the people who are working for them. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with a sincere heart, just as you would obey Christ. See, Jesus is your true and better boss. In the same way that he's the true and better spouse, he's the true and better boss. You can serve wholeheartedly knowing that your work is for him. And don't work for, just for people. And understand that there is a reward for the good work that you do, whether you are a slave or whether you are free. Also, he addresses the masters. Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. If you are a boss, employer, supervisor, or leader, Meditate on the fact that there is a true and better boss who is over you. And that in God's eyes, there really isn't a difference between you and the people below you or that you are overseeing. In fact, you have no position above anyone else. I think what we need to also learn here is that our work can be worship to God, regardless of what kind of work it is. Uh, I often think of a verse, it's talking about god's kingdom coming and again shifting and changing uh things happening in the nation of israel and it's kind of looking forward to almost the the kingdom of god as opposed to another time perhaps in israel history where things were going well but it talked about a clay pot in an ordinary house and having an inscription holy to the lord as if that was the, that's the kind of inscription that should be on something that's you know set apart in the temple and it's made of gold or something but here's a clay pot And on it it says, holy to the Lord. I think all kinds of work, we can have that inscription on what we do. Regardless of what kind of glory that it is given by our family, our friends, our society. We can take whatever work it is that we are doing. And we can say, this is my act of worship to you, Lord, today. Again, if it's an assignment from the Lord, you'd better do it faithfully. Um, there's a quote, I didn't remember it exactly. I think it's Martin Luther again talking about our relationship to work and he says, if, if you're kind of called to be the, maybe it's a street sweeper or the janitor or something like that, don't stoop to be the king. Do what you are called to do. Work for the Lord faithfully. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back as we close and uh, this final song that we're gonna be singing is called uh, His Name is Jesus. It's trying to give us a picture of who he is. And many of the songs that we sing try to do that. They try to help us to understand him more, to see him more, to have a clearer vision of who he is. Because the more that we understand who he is, the more that will affect and change who we are and how we, how we live. Now you might be with us today, maybe you've been with us for a while, and you're not a Christian but you've been getting a clearer and clearer picture of who Jesus is. I hope that as you are here with us that you see that he is the true and better friend, the true and better spouse, the true and better father, the true and better savior. Nothing else but Jesus can save you and meet the deepest needs that you have. We want to invite you to embrace Jesus as your Lord and savior. You might not be ready, but if you are ready, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you pray that prayer, we would love to chat with you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Can I invite you all to stand? I would love to bless you in prayer this morning before we worship. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are uh, the true and better uh, and For all of the pain that some of uh, my friends here today might be feeling because of where they're at in their relationship with their spouse, um, or maybe feeling the absence of their spouse. Um, Father, for those who are uh, feeling the pain of broken relationships and um, child and parent relationships, uh, for those that will be... Feeling uh, pain because of regret and missed opportunities and other things. Father, help us in you um, to find healing and restoration. And help us in you to be fully satisfied. Uh, Father, I pray for um, the marriages in this church, uh, for the ones that are now are strong but may face challenges. For the ones that are um, weak and struggling, um, I pray for those people that they would be able to in you find strength by your spirit to make changes, to be transformed, uh, and to pursue holiness together. Father, for broken relationships between parents and children, uh, I pray that there would be reconciliation. I pray that you would soften people's hearts I pray that those that call on you as Lord and Savior would submit to you in this way. Uh, for parents who are feeling uh, bruised, nearly broken, uh, and nearly snuffed out because of uh, being dishonored and rejected as parents, I pray that they would find healing and strength in you, comfort in your arms, knowing that you know what it's exactly, exactly what it's like. Um, for parents who have regrets about their parenting or for uh, parents who are in the middle of raising uh, kids and they are trying to um, do their best, help them to have good listening ears to your Spirit's uh, voice as you give instruction um, through us to our children. Uh, Father, we pray that as we dig deeper into your word, uh, into your truth, that by your Spirit you would Um, shape us all more and more into the image of Christ in your name we pray amen let's worship